Hey, everybody. That's the second time that Matt has got me with the prayer before the song's actually over. Uh, and I'm standing up here, like, joining the band for the last 30 seconds. So I'm so glad you're here. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm supposed to say a couple of announcements, but uh, I kind of forgot what they are. I know we're going to take an offering in a minute. And if you're new or totally skeptical or think this is a sham, let that just go right by. I don't want your money. Uh, but if you're here and you believe in what we're trying to do, generosity is pretty simple. You give to what you believe in. And so we'd love for you to help us make this uh, more and more of a reality. So as that little box goes by, go crazy. Or you can give online. That's where it's all at. Anyways, if you text give to that number, it just sends you to the website. So you can skip that process and just go to the website uh, directly. So cool. Amen. Amen. Money is God's and sort of yours, but mostly God's, so do whatever you want. Uh, and so tonight, I, w I thought that was funny. Tough crowd. Cool. So welcome to the Saturday Night Experiment. Sorry you couldn't make it to the golf stuff happening. But uh, tonight, I, I want to start with uh, this. Um, tonight, I let me just be the first one to say from the microphone that after, you could start the offer again. Uh, after 18, 19 years of this ministry thing, this obsession with Jesus thing, uh, I, I still now, at 40 years old, uh, I started ministry just down the street a couple miles from here full time in 2001. I just want to say this really quickly though. Uh, tonight, in humility, I hold my hand out and go, I'm going to share some things uh, that I could be wrong about. You don't want that from a pastor sometimes. You want certainty, you want clarity, you want it in three points, and you want it in less than 30 minutes, right? But tonight I'm going to share some things that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure of uh, and that I'd love for you to talk with us about. So here's my hope tonight is that we actually create as much as we can in Pew's uh, conversation. And again, we're all new. It's six weeks in. Um, you don't know the person maybe even sitting next to you. Uh, you just happen to be sitting next to them. So maybe the conversation will be right here uh, or maybe not at all. But I want to throw it out there. So here's what you have to do tonight. I'm going to share some things. We stopped the music kind of early. We're going to keep it really simple. And I want to share some things that if I say anything, I'm thinking about church folks. If you grew up maybe in the church or with some really religious folks around you, I might say something tonight that makes you go, wait, whoa, whoa, hey, I'm not so sure about that. Whoa, hey, did someone literally just shout? Yeah, beautiful. I thought we had our first protester. I was so excited. <laughs> We're prepared for that. Come on. Uh, so tonight I might say some things that you'll go, well, I don't think that. And what if about some things we would hold open hands and go, we, we all could be wrong about something that we believe, and we could still break bread together. So tonight, here's what I want to do. I want to share some things. I'm going to keep it really simple. Uh, and then afterwards, if you want, we're going to be out, out there. We're going to do communion outside. Literally, I bought donuts. So Krispy Kreme donuts will be out on a table. So just grab one and run if you need to, or grab one and have like a kind of a sticky conversation and, and get to know some people, meet some people, ask some questions, say things like, but, but what about... But what about, what do you think about, be brave. So if you're totally not into that, you don't have to do anything. But tonight we're going to make it safe. So tonight, uh, Prodigal Church is going to stick to its notes. And I want to create a safe place, to be honest, uh, and to ask questions. Okay? Are you intrigued yet about where we're going? Okay, so tonight, keyword safe, uh, another one, honest. I, I, I started a blog <laughs> in 2008 when it was cool. And, uh, and I wrote some stuff on there. I actually, um, I had just been fired from my church, partly because I asked some questions. 
that's the, all sorts of parts, and partly because I yelled at my boss in the mall. So there's lots of parts, but um, I got fired in part because I started asking questions that weren't safe questions. So I learned early on there, there are some questions. I just realized some of you are from that church and were there in that season, and so it, I would have fired me too. Everything's okay. Uh, so I, I learned early on that Christians, there's some questions we can't ask. I didn't grow up in the church, and so I didn't grow up with that kind of baggage or that understanding. I've always just been a question asker, curious what's going on. So tonight, please create a safe place. And I also recognize this and have experienced this firsthand in the last, like, six, seven, ten months. We really like people, even love people, that we agree with fully. Uh, and if we don't, then we're not so sure about that person. And I, I felt this today. I was watching college basketball, and I was watching Duke uh, and this freak of nature, Zion Williamson, and he's dunking all over everyone. And the play-by-play the -play was done by a guy named Dick Vitale. Anybody know Dick Vitale? And for years, I've loved that guy. I thought he's hilarious. Even in the game, I was laughing at some things he said. I rewound it once because I thought it was so funny. But then he started talking about some things that I didn't agree with, and I watched my heart go, oh, I don't like this guy. Like, he started saying things about Zion, and if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, you're hoping we grab this guy in the draft. And he kept going, he needs to go to the Knicks, he needs to go to the Knicks. And it's so petty and small uh, as it was, I started going, just be quiet. I don't want to hear you anymore because you're saying something that I don't agree with. As petty as that is, it happens right here, too. And so as I share some things tonight, I just hope that you can handle it because I know that God can. Uh, I know that God can handle our questions. He can handle our wait, what abouts. He can handle our I'm not so sure anymores. Uh, he can even handle when you don't believe something anymore. Or maybe you'd go, I just don't know if I have enough faith. Because there's this scene with Jesus in the Gospels when someone comes to him asking for something. He says, if you can do it. He says to Jesus, well, if you're able to. And Jesus is like, if I'm able well, of course I'm able if you believe that I'm able. And the guy's like, well, I believe. But will you also help me with my unbelief? Like, yeah, I believe, but I also don't at the same time. And that apparently was enough for Jesus. He went, okay, yeah, I can help you. Um, so tonight I'm going to pray real quick because I feel like uh, that's necessary. And then we'll jump in and I'll stop building all the anticipation. Cool? So Jesus, tonight uh, we believe in you. Uh, and some of us don't. And help us with that. Or some of us sort of do. But the flip side of it is you're obsessed with us. You love us. You created us. We love each other, but I can't imagine what it's like to be you and to be the one that knit each of us together in our mother's wombs and um, decided on all the things. And anyway, so tonight, we know that you're patient, slow to anger and abounding in love. Um, we know that you're the same forever and ever, yesterday, today, and forever. You've never changed. Um, so in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I wrote this. Uh, earlier today. We are the champions, my friends, and we'll keep on fighting. Did you see my notes? Till the end. We, we are the champions. We are the champions. There's no time for losers. There's kids in the room. But because we, we, we are the champions of the world. Like somebody wanted to sing right there. I was waiting for you. We are the champion. We don't even need Matt. You're fired. We are the champ. Right, I got it. Right, we love to win. So this guy, is any, are any competitors out there? You get what you want because you fought for it. You get, really, three of us? The rest of you are like, you win, I love you, right? 
We love to win. We love to get our way. Uh, board games, I'm a big fan. If you ever want to come over and hang out, let's hang out. My wife and I, we love board games. Uh, we don't play quite as much anymore because our kids are crazy. We love you. Um, but we, had, we figured out what we needed to do early when we both wanted to win the same thing, but we were sitting in a circle with each other. We decided early on, we can't, um, I, I can't play a board game with you and let you win or, oh, go ahead, babe, build that road over that place where I'm trying to build a settlement. Like, it's fine. Uh, anybody? No? Uh, okay, fine. So what we decided to do, because we both wanted to win, and I didn't want to be nice to her, is we actually, we got temporary divorces. Anytime we play a game together that we both want to win, we're no longer associated with one another. That's how competitive we are. We just look at each other like, you're a complete stranger. In fact, you're my enemy. So tonight, uh, I ask a question about winning. Like, how much do you like to win? And then at the same time, um, so this is all God's, sort of a big game that he's created, a big story that he created. Uh, there's some sort of plot and twists and turns, and there's some sort of culmination, and there's a, there's a finality, uh, and then maybe a continuation, it sounds like. Um, but in, in, in the grand scheme of life, like, does, does God win? Like, does he win? Like, at the end of the day, when he looks at creation and what happened over these billions of years, will he consider it a win? Like, will he have gotten what he wanted? Now, here's what, uh, this is what Paul's going to say. And I want to start diving into some scripture. Uh, it could be on the screen. We had two people that usually run slides call sick today. So Randy's in there. He's usually doing something totally different. He already pulled the slide. That's a rookie move. Uh, and so I'm not even ready for it. I'm playing. You're awesome. So I'm going to read this verse. And this is what it seems like God wants. It seems like from the Apostle Paul, this would be the win. It says, this is good. This is uh, 1 Timothy 2. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. So he's a Savior. He saves who wants, I highlighted this, who wants all people to be saved. And again, from all backgrounds and all understandings of what that actually means, uh, maybe whatever that means to you, here's clearly what Paul thinks God wants. He wants all people to be saved. That's what God wants and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The simple question tonight as you read this one verse from Paul and a handful of others. What does God want? He wants, he wants all people to be saved from circumstances, from long-term, from eternal, the whole shebang. He wants all people to be saved. So does God, at the end of this whole story, does he get what he wants? Have you thought about that? Like, if you have a desire, how hard do you work to accomplish that desire, to, to achieve that goal? Like, if this is God's goal, if this is what God wants, um, does he get it? Does he actually get it? Or has he created, and this is going to be confusing for some of you, but for some of you, you'll fully get it because you've been grown up in the church. Has God maybe created a system in which his, his own hands are tied? Has he created a set of rules and regulations and, and maybe competing desires that are going to mess up what he actually wants from happening? He desires that all of us would be saved, come to a knowledge of this truth, to know him and to know his love for us and to love him. He wants that, but is, did he create a system and a scenario that might make that just impossible? And at the same time, so it would be like, I, God would say to you and I, uh, I love you, but like, what would God have to say at the end of that sentence to make any sense? 
well, I love you, and I desire to, to be with you and to save you and to care for you and to heal you, but you didn't, you didn't believe a certain thing a certain way in a certain precise way within a certain given time that I gave you. I love you, and I want that, but you just so happen, and this is, I don't mean to be sarcastic, sort of, but you just so happen to be born amongst the other 1.5 billion people, billion, who are born into a Muslim family in a Muslim town, in a Muslim area, in a Muslim, uh, you just so happen to be one of the 22% of human beings that I put together in their mom's womb that will never have a chance to hear anything about me. And if you do hear it, you might hear that I'm like a, a JV prophet or maybe a varsity prophet, but I'm not God. So you miss the precision. Are you allowed? All right, again, some tension. Maybe it's all up here on stage. This is something I've been wrestling and wondering and reading and dreaming and questioning for up over a decade. Maybe you'd say you've been doing it for five decades. But tonight, does that sit well with you? That God wants all people to be saved, to come to this knowledge, um, which is beautiful and eternal. But in this current situation, there are folks that that's actually impossible for, and that's not their choice. You know anyone like this? It makes me just go, goodness gracious, it's out of control. Why would you put 22% of humanity in a place where they would never even have a chance if they need to believe something precisely to be with you forever and to avoid something terrible? Why even let them be born in those areas for 80 years if you know for the next 80 billion it's not going to go well? It makes me, when I hear songs like, how great is our God, I sometimes go, good question. Like, how great are you? I'm a pastor, love Jesus, but it's a good question. Like the flip side of it, you good? Are we all right? You've heard this? I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's Jeremiah. You've also heard people say like, God has wonderful plans for your life. Have you ever heard anyone follow that with, but if you don't believe the precise thing you need to believe about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit and about baptism and about fill in the blank, then he is probably, uh, if you don't love him and cooperate with him in his plan in this prescribed way, he does love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. It's just to torture you with unimaginable abuse forever. For God so loved the world. For God sort of loved the world. Is anyone wrestling or is it just me? I have a master's degree in this Christianity thing. Um, I even went to ASU and studied religion, but still some of these questions, it's safe to ask them here and it's safe to disagree here. I would just turn a point and go, okay, first John four, twice, John, who got to know Jesus over three years, didn't go, he was so loving, he was so nice, he was so kind. John said, no, 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 he isn't loving, he is love. He is the very essence, the thing, God is love. He didn't just say it once, he said it twice. In 1 John, he described the, the, the deity that put this all together, this God the Father, as love. And then we started a church because a father came running off a porch 
to not beat the life out of his disobedient son, but to embrace him in his filth, clean him up, throw his old stuff away, put a ring on him, sandals on his feet, and throw a huge party a moment later. And so you've got God is love, for God so loved the world. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But you don't believe in him, so he is instantly going to change the moment you die. Does God go from this benevolent, loving, beautiful, mountain-making, waterfall-making, love-making God of the universe to an eternal tormentor, a good, good father? It's who you are. It's who you are to eternal tormentor of something, someone he created. Is that God? Do you wrestle? And again, if you have to write it down, something's like, yes, but what about, beautiful, if the traditional understanding, the like Dante's Inferno understanding of hell is correct, then what you'll be subjected to if you don't believe in Jesus, according to many Christians on this street, is more cruel than something, anything, any human father has ever done to their kid. I think the worst thing that's happened, it was finite. It lasted a day, a week, a month, a decade maybe. It, it pales in comparison to the cruelty that, that you'll experience. I mean, gosh, let's just wrestle. And this is, again, this is a very dangerous thing for me. Um, but I just don't, I can't, I can't, I can't create a community that, where it's unsafe to talk about these things. Cool. Are you with me? Imagine somebody that you meet that has um, maybe had chronic pain forever. Uh, and, you know, that song talked about perfect plans, like all your plans. I can't remember exactly how it went now that I'm in the moment, but like the, there was a line about your plans for me are like perfect and beautiful. Like if you're sitting here tonight and everything hurts, you're, wow, your plans are perfect. Imagine someone that's worked, even been through something different than that, that lasted a lifetime. Maybe they lived in abject poverty. I've been to Malawi a couple times and I've seen the poorest folks that I've ever seen. That's one downside of having the doors open. Um, and imagine having to look at that person who for 50, 60, 70 years, made by God, loved by God, made in the image of God, all the potential in the world to know God, but has been subjected to some sort of pain or suffering for 50, 60, 70 years, anguish, uh, maybe their whole family, maybe they've lost everything and they don't know Jesus. So you'd have to look at them and you wouldn't say this, but you could say, this is actually the best part of your eternal experience. What you've lived through and experienced, the pain and the anguish, the whatever, fill in the blank. I'm, again, think of that. And then you have to look at that person and go, yeah, but what's coming is worse, according to the gospel. I'll say something strong. That, that gospel, or at least that God, sounds a lot more like Satan than a good, good father. Is that okay? No? That, that God's a monster. I, right? A, a little bit, or I'm wrong. And there's a flip side, and it's the holiness. And he's not mean, he's holy. He's holy, he's set apart, he's perfect, he's righteous, you're not. And so your life on this planet and everything that you did, even though it was finite, even if you were 95 years old, it's going to get you an infinite punishment, an infinite crime, and it's going to be ugly. And all of that just makes me go, wow, 
If that's what God's like, perfect in all of your ways, you're going to burn. If you can, that's a scary creature. And I'm a little ant on a little anthill with a microphone in a little room with you, but with my little microphone and my little brain and my little couple decades of thinking about this, I go, that God sounds crazy to me. It doesn't sound like the father coming off the porch. It does not sound like the Jesus who just keeps kicking the door down for the outcasts and the marginalized. But people that believe in that God, they can endorse and they can justify all sorts of things. Like if your God, I'm going to speak strongly because this is just how I'm wired. If your God is a monster, you can be one too. And you can justify all sorts of cruel behavior because your God does. You can even look at other human beings in other places and other places that maybe they disagree with you or don't believe what you believe. And you go, well, they're disposable so I can treat them accordingly. That's a big thought. If your God sees people as, ah, they're just throwaways. There's billions of them, but, you know, I've got my bride. But the rest, like pre-Jesus and Old Testament, they're all doomed or, you know, who else? Like, there's some denominations that go, every other denomination's dead. <laughs> but we nailed it. Gosh, church, right? Like, every, you, you have to get it perfect and sign off. You have to read the website, take six weeks of classes, and then you're, you're saved. You're probably miserable, but you're saved at that point. So I'd look at that kind of God, and I look at the folks that sometimes if, if that's what God is like, you can go, well, I can justify my violence, and I can, I can justify my exclusion, and I can justify my hate. I can justify my discrimination. And what you'll see, if your concept of God is radically wrong, then the more devoted you are to that God, the worse off you are. If, you're, if your concept of God is wrong and you give your heart, your mind, your soul and devotion to the worship of that God, that can't be a good thing, right? If you believe a lie with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's not going to lead you to love and to life. And if I could just say it this way, the idea of God as a tormentor and of hell as some eternal place of anguish and punishment, those two things, if that's what you've grown up believing, I'm so great. I said before we started, I could be wrong, but I just wonder, like, does the idea of God as a, like a petty tyrant that's me injecting what I see. It's the idea of God being so holy that he just has to hurt you. Has that made you love him more? Has the idea of hell as this terrible place and God as this really mysterious, quick to change his posture towards me kind of God, has that made you love God more? Has that made you a more loving person? Are you with me? Are we good? Okay, so there's this verse, uh, and this is another sermon series for another day, but I'm just going to read a few verses. One, if you've ever read your Bible, you maybe started in January and you tried to read through Genesis and you're like, cool, Exodus is even better. You're like, wow, uh, Leviticus, what the heck, Numbers, what, we just said this, Deuteronomy, okay, we're back. And then you get into some other good stuff, but a lot of us, you read some things, especially in the Bible, and you go, whoa, whoa, God is wildly violent, <laughs> like, you just rolled into a city and took people out. Like, because you wanted that city. You could have just 
built another city. You can move mountains. Like build an, so you read some stuff on the left and you go, whoa. But then you have this verse that says, in the New Testament, that says Jesus is the same. He's the eternal God. The biblical understanding is Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, like I hinted. So let's just read some things together. Uh, this is a little bit of a Quentin Tarantino shift. Uh, but if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, uh, and he's all the things that we saw in the Gospels, he said this towards the end of his ministry career. It's John chapter 12, verse 32. You can throw it up there. But when I am lifted up from the earth, upon the cross, maybe the ascension, there's two different meanings there. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men and, and women to myself. When I am lifted up from the earth, what does God want? He desires all people to be saved. What does Jesus say? When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. What is he talking about there? You have to read your Bible and go, what does this actually mean? I could read it at face value, but what, what are you hinting at? What are you saying? Let's, let's just keep going. This is a little Pauline, but look at Romans 5. A little Bible study tonight. Therefore, this is a little bit longer. Romans 5 says, therefore, just as, and this is the Pauline perspective of sin and atonement, but just follow me. Just as sin, there we go, entered the world through one man, the understanding that Adam sinned, Eve sinned, the whole thing. And death, separation through that sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. I know this is, there's a lot here, but I'm going to get to it. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. You can't be held accountable for rules you don't know, is what he's saying. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. This grace is not like this sin. For if the many died because of the trespass of the one man, like the brokenness that came that we're experiencing, that's his understanding. For if the many died by the trespass of that one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow, love that word, to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? He keeps contrasting this smallness and this abundance. Consequently, here it comes. Just as a result of the trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness, Jesus, was justification that brings life for all men. Huh? How many? Did Adam derail things so bad that it's irreparable and we're all broken forever? Or did the act of the cross, Jesus' life being laid down and resurrection seal forgiveness, and it just says right here, reconciliation. It, it says right here, all of that justification is for all men. There's another one. Let's just keep going. There's a lot. I'm just going to do a few more. But Christ, these are shorter, has indeed been raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, beautiful chapter. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning everybody's going to do the same thing. 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also, also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. 2 Corinthians 5. God was reconciling the world to himself, the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. First John, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. It's in the Bible. The Lord says in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Is that good news for anyone else? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Meaning, he wants you to see the goodness, turn to the goodness, and leave everything that's hurting you. That's a good, good father. I want so badly for my two boys in the back row to see the things in life that hurt them. I want them to see it and to turn from it. And I am a 40-year-old idiot. I'm a knucklehead. I fall short in so many ways in this life. And I would die a thousand deaths for my two boys. I would hit, hit me by a... Whatever, fill in the silly blank. I'm running off of my notes now. I would do it for my boys. I'm an ant on an anthill with a mic. My love can't be better than our Heavenly Father's. I'll take a thousand bullets. I can't be more loving and generous than God. I refuse to even think it for a minute, and nobody in the crowd is wondering it. But if I would do that for all of eternity for those two, how much more would your father do that for you? And for the person who's in anguish and in pain, who never had a shot, is his last word to them, I'm sorry, but it's actually going to get worse. Here's what I think this is. I think this is actually an interesting conversation, but at the same time it gets boring. Because here's what this does. This actually distracts us. If you become so heavenly-minded that you become earthly kind of useless, uh, you're, you're not doing it right. Meaning we can get so focused and distracted on actually this conversation, which is a huge conversation. Because if your God's a monster, you can be too. But also at the same time, folks who talk more about this than anything else, folks who talk more about getting your soul somewhere else, tend to not care about what's actually happening here and the injustices that are in your face. They tend to care less about becoming the kind of person who for, like, these things are natural. They, t they tend to care less about becoming more and more like Christ. And they tend to care more about just upping the number in the room so that souls are floating off somewhere someday. They tend to care less about prophetically speaking against injustices today. Because you know what? It's, it's all going to waste anyway. These conversations can distract us. And they can actually create a story that I don't think is accurate. And then if you're not careful, listen, if you believe something that's not true, you'll live something that's not true. You with me? Like, think of the older brother in the original story. And if you're not familiar, let me tell you a quick story. Young boy runs off to Vegas, squanders his wealth and wild living. He betrays his father. He does everything terrible that he can possibly do. He embarrasses himself. He loses everything. He's dead broke now. It's months later, and father's back at the house, at the ranch, with the land, with the goats, with the cows, with the people, with the employees. He's back home. He's doing good. Younger son, Luke 15. This is why we planted a church, by the way. If you've never heard the story, you should listen to it better than this. But the young boy 
He's like, I'm going to go home. I'm hungry. Some of you are hungry right now. He's ten times more hungry. He goes home to the father. And again, look at the father. The father in that story that Jesus tells, Jesus says, this is what God's like. He sees this kid who's done everything wrong, hasn't done a single thing right, doesn't even get the spiel, the spiel, the script, the response, the I'm sorry, none of that. He doesn't even get it out. And the father already forgives him, already invites him, already welcomes him, already feeds him, already clothes him, already starts the music. I mean, he's been home like three minutes, and the father's like, throw the music on. Cook something. Let's go. That story of that father, that kid, not doing a single thing. This is Jesus in his prime of his ministry with the biggest crowd he's got. He goes, God is like a father who welcomes that kid home, throws him back on the inheritance list. He's good. I love you. You smell. Go take a shower after we're done partying. That's what God's like. And then you have, remember the other guy? The other brother? The other brother? I like it. The other brother? He's over here out in the field. And what's he doing? He's working. He's working hard. And he hears music and dancing inside. He hears the, you know, whatever 2,000 years ago music and dancing was, right? There's no bass. It's just people shouting and screaming and celebrating. And he, he doesn't go inside. He's, what is he doing? He's suspicious and he's pouting, right? Jesus tells the story of two brothers. The older one's outside. He starts to figure it out. Somebody tells him, your, your, your little brother's home. Oh, the one who betrayed us, the one who broke all the rules, the one who didn't match, the one who didn't do what I did, and I stayed. And he gets mad, remember? And he calls the servant over, gets the explanation, and then the father, what does the father do? What's Jesus saying? The father in that story goes out to his son. He goes out to him. He meets him where he is, and he doesn't go, what the heck are you doing? Get inside, right? Some of us, like our kids are just knucklehead sometimes, you're like, what are you doing? Stop it. Knock it off. Don't burn that. Leave your sister alone, right? Like all the things that come out of our mouths. He doesn't do any of that. This father goes to the older brother who's outside pouting, and he says, what, what's, what's happening? What's wrong? Why aren't you inside? Paraphrase. And the, the son says what? All these years I've been slaving for you, and you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. <laughs> it's so pathetic, right? All these years I've been slaving for you, and you never even gave me a young goat. I can't even say it without laughing. I wanted a little baby goat. We're going to have a party. Goat's going to die. We're going to eat it. <laughs> I was slaving for you. Oh, you know, he's slaving for dad. So who's dad? In his mind, this son has been home working for dad. Dad is CEO. Dad is slave driver. His idea of his story is that his father is a certain way. So when he saw his father a certain way, he behaved a certain way. And the father gently says, that's not your story. You've been working for this stuff. Everything I have is yours. What a, what a line. The posture of the father is, you don't work for me. You're my boy. This is all yours. You were, you were working for this? How did you see me? You saw me as a, as a boss? So he believes the wrong version of his story, and he lives the wrong life. What brought that father joy? What brings the father joy? Forgiveness, reconciliation, invitation, all of those things bring God joy. 
destruction, punishment, wrath, none of that brings God joy. He's not a petty tyrant. If he desires that all men, all women, all children be saved, be invited, be loved, be welcome, does God get what God wants? If your traditional understanding of the gospel says no, well, then what about with Jesus when the rich young ruler goes to Jesus and says, oh, hey, so tell me what I got to do. He gives Jesus uh, what we would call a softball pitch, although lots of us have struck out in softball. Jesus wouldn't. Uh, softball pitch, meaning this is an easy one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you have seen a tract that can answer that question? How many of you have heard a bullhorn guy tell you the answer to that question? How many of you have read the book of Romans? 323, 5-8, right, 10-9, boom, st I still know how to drive down the Romans road. Jesus has a man walk up to him and go, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, sell everything you have. Strike one, right? You just missed your easiest chance ever if Jesus was in the exclusive business of saving souls by prescribing set theology you must believe he is a heretic in this moment. Jesus isn't a heretic, bloggers, okay? But in this moment, you got to go, whoa, softball pitch. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He should have said, uh, believe in the Son. Confess your sins, repent. He goes, no, 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 uh, just sell everything you have. What? Even Jesus kind of messed up when it comes to witnessing. I've, I, I've acquired the fire. I went to acquire the fire, a program that told me that there was fire I needed to acquire, and it was a simple message I give to people uh, so that they could be saved. And I went to Arizona Mills Ball, and I was handing out fire. Did you know you're going to die tonight? If you die tonight, you're going to go to heaven or hell. Do you even know? Do you know? Do you know? Do you want to go to heaven? Of course. Okay, well, pray this prayer. And I was saving fools, man. Left and right, they're in ching, 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 because they just prayed a prayer. My first ever job was a junior high pastor down the street. On my first time ever sharing the gospel, I scared literally the hell out of 71 kids, and they all got saved. 71. People are looking at me like, whoa, your daughter was probably there. She was probably like, I don't want to burn. I want, yeah, I'm in. And people are looking at me like, he's the next young thing. He just saved 71 little derelicts. Right? And I went, well, if you say so, I'll keep doing it. And I'm like, I like affirmation. And so I love the... Way to go, preacher. Tell them like it is. Meanwhile, none of those kids, except for your daughter, uh, <laughs> uh, were getting to focus on life and beauty and discipleship and becoming the kind of person Jesus intended them to be because their pastor was saving people all over the place that maybe didn't need me to do that to get them to pray something that maybe will make them less loving than if they didn't ever pray it. Like, if, if God uh, ends up being a, a torturous God, um, he ends up being less loving than most people you know. My love is like, I love you, please don't hurt me. It's like Gavin and Hadley. Um, did you hear me? No. My, my middle boy does not like his little sister yet. So sometimes I like, what if I was to say him, say you're sorry to your sister and I'll let you play on the iPad. 
I'm sorry, Hadley, I love you so much. That's fake love. If my love for God is, I love you, <laughs> I love you, please don't hurt me. I hope I love you enough, and I hope I keep loving you because I think some doctrines say I have to keep loving you or I could lose your love for me because you're fickle. Is that it? Okay, so as we wrap up in just a minute here, let's just be honest about some things. You're going to hear me preach if you keep coming. Uh, you're going to hear me talk uh, about the love of God. It, by the way, I've always thought this. You've, if you know me and you've ever known me, I've always thought this and still preached my guts out that people would know and love Jesus. Like people then go, well, why do you even tell anyone? Because I think Jesus is everything he said he is, and I think he's worth giving your entire freaking life to. But the ambulance is coming, guys, and will you be right? <laughs> Someone's taking notes on the benefits of the door being open. Uh, I just ask you, if you're, if you're mad right now and you're ready to just run, you're going to get a donut first and then run, I'm sure, um, because the Bible's clear. Posture, let me just say this. Uh, this I, I have a high view, love this thing, uh, this beautiful, the most important book on the planet, okay? Um, it's clear on a lot of things that we would also go, yeah, but, um, like women, like let's just open hands, like let's just go, let's just do some work and let's open this text and let's be fair and honest about what the Bible actually is and maybe what it, what it isn't, and that'll be a healthy thing uh, because it's clear about women and we would all go, ooh, that's, that's, that ship has sailed. The Bible's clear about disobedient kids. I've seen my boys in the back a couple times do some things that they shouldn't do because they just, they're, they're kids. But the Bible says that I can hit them with rocks and kill them until they're dead. It's in the Bible and it's clear as day. You have disobedient kids, take them out in front of the town and hit them with rocks until they're gone. That's in your Bible. You can get mad at Muslims for texts that are in their book, but you gotta go back to the left on yours and go, oh crap, we got a couple of those too, right? That should humble us. We shouldn't be such jerks. Because we've got texts that say that I can have slaves, and it's okay. The Bible is pro-slavery because it's in a certain place at a certain time, written to certain people who haven't maybe experienced what we've experienced. Some dangerous sentences I want to throw at you. But hold your Bible out and go, yeah, beautiful word of God points me to Jesus, but you won't find him on every page. Some of them you're going to go, we clearly know that's not right anymore. We clearly know that's not okay. And so that gives me the permission to go, okay, I love you, Jesus, and I want to faithfully question the things that I've always been taught or maybe I've always even believed, and I want to see, okay, help me, God. You're a good, good father, but okay, help me understand and wrestle with this. Okay, so, so for some of us, maybe the podcast listeners, because um, I, I kind of scared people away on social media with this one, saying some things. And so, hello to those of you that are listening. Um, hope you're comfy. Uh, <laughs> talking to future people on a computer. Um, it's like this. I said this on Facebook. Maybe you've built something, and you've spent years building it. Your faith, you've invested in it. You've, you've got surround, you're surrounded by people that maybe have built the same kind of faith. Kind of like a house. We had a house in Gilbert that we loved. We worked on it for years. When we first moved in, it needed so much help. But we spent you know, years investing in it and building it and making it ours. And it was comfy. It was so comfy and it was perfect. And it fit the amount of friends we needed it to fit. And it was, it was just good and it was beautiful. And, but then one day we had to move. We had to move. We were moving to Chicago for a weird year. But we moved uh, to Chicago. Um, 
and we had to leave this house. And my wife and I, we talk about that house with love and with oh, the memories. And I'll look at pictures. And even preparing for this message, I was looking at pictures and was kind of getting emotional. Like, gosh, I missed that house. And if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't do it because it cost me too much. That kind of thing, right? All these thoughts that I've had about that house. And it's the same thing for some folks that have built a faith that is comfortable. And it's them and it fits, and all their friends fit in it. And to maybe question whether you should live in that particular house anymore is scary. It's asking folks to consider, would you let go of something you've invested a lot of time in and step towards something that you know is true and right and good and safe and beautiful? A lot of folks say no because it's comfy. I'm not going to question anything. I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to go to prodigal church. I'm not going to be a part, right, like fill in the blank. Some of us go, I'm going to hold to this even though if I really sit with it, wait, that can't be right. There's got to be something better. The question for me was, wait, is that the best God can do? question hit me about a decade ago, and I'd just say in front of you today, I don't think so. Could I be wrong? Yeah. Do I hope I'm right? Yeah. Do I love God when I get to see him as this fully inclusive, beautiful God who plans to come through on his promise and to get what he wants? I actually think God wins. And I think the win looks like you and me and everyone he loves and knows with him forever. That's what I think. I could be wrong. What do you think? What's the wrestle? What are people wrestling with? What are you wrestling with? And again, if you respond, I know it's pews. And, but what do, you, what do you think? Safe place to go. I think you're an idiot. I go, I might be. But what do you think? What do you wrestle with? But what about? Sun's waving at me. That'll break the tension. You better obey me, son. Just kidding. Sorry. What do you think? What about suicide? Wow. Yeah, mental. Well, I would. I would say, uh, mental illness. That person didn't get a fair shake. They never even had a chance, probably. They were haunted constantly by something they didn't choose, didn't ask for. And now to ask them, hey, you better make this decision at the right time in the right way. None of us would put that on someone. They're already in a battle. We're going to heap more guilt and shame and terror on them. Again, I'm an ant on an anthill. I'm small. I'm small. But I'd go, you've been through enough. I mean, someone who's suicidal, that breaks my heart. And part of why we started this church is we were realizing I was a part of the problem. It's creating really unsafe places. And so we did some hard work and said, whatever it costs us, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not God. I'm not even close. And I'll do whatever I can to make sure that nobody ever gets to that point in their life where they'd feel like, I'm just, it'd be better if I was gone, right? It's a fantastic question. And some Christians would go, they had their chance. There's no more hope. That's the good news. There's no more hope. Goodness. 
I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. What else? But what about? The folks, there's, there's some really great folks that, that decided not to join us after we decided to make some changes. And if you're brand new and have no idea what we're talking about, just hop on Facebook, rewind a little bit, and it gets interesting. Um, and, and I'm sometimes too aggressive. And uh, I throw things on Facebook that people are like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just being me. Um, and I'm trying to fight for some people. Uh, it's very disadvantageous for me to say some of the things that we're saying. Um, but again, Ignorant, I, I also know really faithful, wonderful people that live in really comfy houses that I don't think ever want to think about these things because it would cost them too much. They've invested too much. And I also know really wonderful, smart people that are fighting to figure out how to treat people outside of these lines that don't fit their expectations. They're trying to love them well. Um, I just couldn't do it. We got to a point where I went, no, I can't ever do that. I have to do this because I can't say something Specifically, we're talking about the LGBTQ shift that we made in our philosophy. I couldn't, I couldn't behave the same way. I couldn't see people the same way. I couldn't do it. I never did. And I finally, well, maybe I did in early seasons. But anyway, ignorant. It, I just look at life and I go, I would have hated me. 30-year-old me hates me. All I do is read for a living. I'm the biggest clown you know. I get to study for a living. So I've just spent my life in this. But 30-year-old me would have been like, you... You're just giving them something because their ears are tickling. You want to say something to reach more people? <laughs> it's stupid. Uh, that's not working. Uh, that's not it. This is me going, people change. People's minds can change. I was ignorant. or I just disagree with old me, but old me would have yelled at me today. 30-year-old Ryan would have been like, you better change, boy. <laughs> You'll be held accountable. I would have said, You'll be held accountable. I had a picture of a God who holds people accountable. He's going to get you. I don't, I hope not. <laughs> I don't see it. Yeah, what else? Love your comment. Thank you. Podcast listeners didn't hear it, so it was beautiful. <laughs> Just Ryan. We meet on Sundays at 4.30. Oh. What do I tell my son who's gay and doesn't feel like he belongs or is loved? I'd tell him we slid all of our chips across the table um, because we think he's wrong about that. Um, and I'd love to have coffee. And I think he's got a pretty fantastic mom who could probably say it better than me. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh my gosh. 
love it, and it's exactly how I would have said it not too long ago, but I would just say this, and you don't have to agree with me, and you can call Prodigal Church home for the next million years. Um, I personally, uh, and we've written this and put this out there and made it really crystal clear, I wouldn't say a sin is a sin is a sin and lump somebody who's gay into that. I wouldn't do it. Um, I see it differently now, and there's a bunch of great resources. I won't give you another sermon. You've already given us an hour. Um, but I'd say it's different in that regard. I would say, yeah, uh, those folks in that spectrum would lie, cheat, steal, all of the things that we've all done. But I'd say this one's unique and different. And I, I don't see it as a sin. And if I just lost you, I have a blog for you to go read. It'll be quick. And maybe one book would be wonderful. Because, again, what? What did you just say? You've held to something. And that's fine. I totally understand. And, it's again, it's not advantageous for me to say stuff like that. But I believe it with my whole heart. Um, so, um, what's that book? David Gushy wrote a book that we threw up on the website called Changing Our Minds, and it, it kind of toppled the sin is a sin is a sin line in my mind because it's beautiful and thoughtful and provoking. Anyway, so, thank you for your comment. Yes, but the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's Paul. If we would just made that our, like, life verse, our motto, that'd be good. The only thing that counts is what you believe expressing itself in love. That would solve a lot of our problems. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, think of all the messages for you've been one of the most encouraging people in my life for a long ten years. Every one of those ten years, I've believed this, and every single one of those Sundays, you've seen me do everything I can to tell people you are loved and invited, and I've fought for people. So my posture hasn't changed, my energy hasn't changed, none of that has changed, and yours doesn't need to either. Why should we even care? Because Jesus is beautiful and amazing, and in love with the person that you're talking to. Uh, and so if on the other side of that, he's doing some saving thing that I'm unaware of, beautiful, but I'm going to love people because he's worth it, right? But again, this is a wrestling match. This is a tough one, and I could be wrong. I just had to hold up these texts and hold up this father and go, okay, in light of whew, that Bible, 
is a mysterious bucket, but in light of the things we do know about Jesus and his love for us, let's let that pour over some other things that we maybe aren't so sure about. And there's a bunch of verses that, listen, I've read Francis Chan's book that was a rebuttal to Rob Bell's book, and both of them, I went, whoa, strong argument, I get to decide, right? Like, yeah, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins, and Francis Chan went into his study and wrote a book that was a response called Erasing Hell. John Piper got on Twitter and was like, farewell, Rob Bell, and dismissed Rob Bell from Christianity because he said some things that I said uh, tonight, which I don't think that'll happen, but I was, ew, that's weird, that's a weird pause, but... It's, they're, they're scared of even the questions, and we won't break bread because we disagree about something we can't actually know with certainty, and that's got to die. That ship's got to sink that we, we don't like each other because we don't agree anymore. I did it with Dick Vitale earlier in basketball. We can't do that to each other, but again, there's some resources, some books, some stuff that be a great wrestle. Do you, can you completely disagree with me on this one? and still come to Prodigal, you're welcome, absolutely, 100%. Will you ever see my energy wane in getting people to know Jesus? Well, if you do, call me out and go, it doesn't seem like you care anymore. What's this Buddhist stuff, right? Like, if that day comes, go, what's going on? And I'd go, whoa, I got to do some art, but I'm not there. I feel like that's a foreign world I can't even imagine. So can you disagree? I would just ask you to wrestle with, okay, how do I have a God who loves me, has a wonderful plan for my life, and desires that I be saved, but if I'm not, will fill in the blank. That's a hard one for me, and that led me to a point where I went, maybe, I mean, I yelled at people. I yelled at a woman. I yelled at a woman in my 30s because she said something like this, and I was like, oh, you just believe whatever you want. She's like, I'm a man yelling at a woman because I disagree, because I look at her, and she moved out of a house that I was like, you need to move back into that house. We're just fickle creatures, man. So, but I get it. It could be something that you disagree with me on, and I'll probably have launch team members that are like, can we do coffee? Yeah, Again, I would just say this, a closing thought. If someone that you know has rejected Jesus and your heart has been breaking for them, I would say a couple of things. One, they probably rejected a version of Jesus that maybe you would too. Maybe their life situation, their circumstance has given them a picture, an idea, a concept of God that is one that they want nothing to do with. And I would also guess that that person's not a bank robber. They're probably not every day breaking the most heinous of crimes. They're probably someone who thoughtfully, rationally, rationally, great, I teach for a living, rationally, reasonably, that's why the B was there, reasonably said, I don't think that's true. That's a person that isn't rejecting God. They're rejecting a concept of God. And in that moment, God's going, had your chance. If God in the flesh showed up in that person's bedroom, say, around 3 in the morning, glowing with cherubim around him, holy, 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 right? If that happened, I bet your friend probably goes, I'm in. I'm in. 
I'm, I'm not rejecting you. I'm done stealing, lying, no more porn, like fill in the blank of your most terrible thing. Whoa! And they'd go, I'm not, but people who say, well, that person rejected God, and so they get what they deserve. They, did they? Or do they reject a version, a concept of God? Maybe you know someone that's just off the deep end. If you put an angel in his room at three in the morning with fire, he's not going to reject that God. And if he does, there's some kind of something wrong up here. I'm still crazy. Like, why would you reject God if you knew? Nobody's picking 80 finite fun years, your version of fun. <laughs> Going, yeah, I know what's coming. Bring it. And if they did, that person was made wrong. Who made them? God gave them a brain that made them choose something destructive forever. And then God steps in and goes, oh, grace. That's confusing, but it makes sense in my head. And I have a mic. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay, for the sake of time, there's donuts. I'll be here. And there's donuts, and that's even better. Um, but this has got to be a place where if something came up, if you wrestled, I love Starbucks. I don't love Peixoto. It's too crowded. I love hanging out. I love talking. I love email. Shoot me an email. Uh, I love reading. You want to do a book club? We'll do a book club. I love Francis Chan. Let's fly to California and hang out with him, and he could try to prove me wrong. I love Rob Bell. Tried to work at his church for a long time. Didn't work out. I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you want to leave, I just love to know, like, again, this is me just six weeks in going, this is who we are. It doesn't have to be who you are. You can disagree with me on this, but watch us do everything we can to make every person in Chandler, Mesa, Gilbert, Tempe, fill in the blank, know that they are loved and they should turn from destructive ways and they should live a new life because Jesus is better than whatever sin they've picked. You'll hear me scream that, that God can meet you, meet you in whatever mess you've made. He will meet you there, he will heal you there, and he will walk you out of it. You'll hear me preach and scream that. If you disagree on one slice of theology with me, come on, let's be friends. So there's donuts, let me pray, uh, and uh, you can... Respond accordingly. Jesus, um, so tonight we, we humbly ask for your Holy Spirit, who is alive and well, um, to teach and to guide and to convict. And I say first, um, me and my friends, um, we all see through glass darkly what you see crystal clear. And you even said there are so many things that you wanted to say to us, but we couldn't handle it at the time. That humbles us, and that just makes me say, I want to be faithful to you, Jesus, to the way of Jesus. You are Lord. Um, and so help me to be someone who thinks and acts and loves the way you do. Jesus, you taught us about a good Father. A great God. Help us to believe in that God. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. If you need anything, we'll be here for a little bit. Have a fantastic night. We'll see you next Sunday, not Saturday, Sunday, right here again at 4.30. Thanks.